Hello, listeners, and welcome to episode two of the Lawyers for Employers podcast brought to you by CC Partners. My name is Mike McClellan. I am one of the Lawyers for Employers at CC Partners, and we're coming to you today from beautiful downtown Brampton, Ontario, our main office at CC Partners. And I'm joined again by Susan Crawford and Dave Shondon. Good morning, Susan. Good morning, Dave. Good morning, Mike. Mike. And today we are going to talk a little bit about one of the hot button issues of the day. Bill 148, the uh, alleged Fair Workplaces Better Jobs Act 2017 and all the various changes to our Ontario laws that have come from this bill. In today's episode, Susan and Dave are going to walk us through some of the highlights, give us a few tips and hints. Caution, we are not providing legal advice. Uh, So, uh, Susan, why don't you kick us off? What really stands out to you? as relevant in Bill 148 that our uh, employer listeners should know about? Uh, Thanks, Mike. So, of course, there's some of the things that have gotten a lot of uh, attention through the media, the increase to the minimum wage, uh, and specifically the timing of those increases and uh, the, the quantum. I don't think anyone would disagree that the minimum wage could probably stand to be increased, but the time frame for increasing it uh, in the amount that it's being increased over a short period of time is, is causing a lot of distress to employers, particularly in the retail, service and hospitality industries. Uh, so that uh, goes into effect January 1st. Uh, vacation entitlement has been increased to three weeks now uh, with anyone uh, who has five years of employment. For the most part, uh, we're hearing from our clients that that's pretty consistent with what their uh, policies are now, so uh, we're not as concerned with, with that. Uh, Personal emergency leave, I think, is another significant change. Uh, Up until the end of this year, only employers who employ uh, 50 or more employees are required to provide uh, personal leaves uh, for emergency purposes. Starting January 1, it will apply to all employers, regardless of the number of employees, uh, and two of those days will be paid. So that is a significant change for, for employers. As well, the equal pay for equal work, I think, is going to have a huge impact on some of uh, our manufacturing clients and anybody who uses temporary help agencies. That comes into force uh, on April 1st, and that will involve paying the same uh, wages to part-time, full-time, and temporary employees uh, with certain certain exceptions, but uh, for the most part, you will no longer be able to differentiate between the wages of full-time and part-time employees. Uh, Finally, the scheduling obligations, the new changes to scheduling, which are not planning to come, they don't come into effect until January 1st of 2019, but they are also significant changes for employers in terms of increased obligations to pay uh, employees when you uh, have unanticipated changes in your business. Uh, So it will require uh, more planning, certainly on the part of uh, employers. But that change doesn't come into effect until uh, a year from now. I also want to mention, uh, we're going to be hitting some of the highlights and giving some tips and hints today. But for the full content of the bill, uh, please go to our website, www.ccpartners.ca. Look at Susan's blog dated November the 30th, 2017, and you'll see in the first paragraph there's a hyperlink to what is undoubtedly the most comprehensive, easiest to understand overview 
of Bill 148 and the changes that are coming for employers. So be sure to check that out on our weekly blog at ccpartners.ca. Uh, Dave, from the perspective of a labor lawyer, uh, what does what Bill 148 mean to our clients? Thanks, Mike. Um, I think there are two kind of broad-based areas for uh, unionized employers to keep in mind from the labor side. First and foremost is your those who have existing collective agreements. It will be critical to ensure compliance with the employment standards. And I know some people would think, well, employment standards, that's the minimum. Surely the collective agreement's got to provide more. That hasn't been my experience, certainly when it comes to some of the starting rates and the new minimum wages being imposed. Um, it'll be important for employers to adjust uh, wage grids to make sure they are in compliance. And the second probably significant area is in terms of uh, leave entitlements, uh, benefits uh, associated with those leaves, making sure that your benefit program uh, complies with the new ESA employment standards leaves. So that's kind of on the, you know, making sure those minimum standards are properly dealt with or addressed in your collective agreement. But on the other side of things is uh, for those uh, non-union employers, there is greater access to certification contemplated under the Labor Relations Act. Um, that is access to certification in the collective bargaining process changes, and I'll uh, highlight those in a, in, in a minute. And secondly, I'll call it uh, preserving or ensuring the success of that collective bargaining process for newly certified employers. Those are kind of the two broader areas that um, I have to admit often are overshadowed by a lot of the uh, discussion out there about Bill 148 and frankly are not to be underestimated. On the issue of access to uh, certification and the collective bargaining process, uh, an important change is what we call remedial certification and that is where an employer is essentially automatically certified because the employer has been found to have committed an unfair labor practice. So Dave, are you saying that it is possible for a union to come into a workplace even without the employees voting them in? You know what, Mike, good question. In fact, it's, it's possible in two ways now, um, excluding the construction sector at this point. But it, it's, if an employer has committed an unfair labor practice, essentially acting in an anti-union manner, uh, dismissals of union organizers are a, a fairly common example. The, the labor board's uh, presumptive remedy now is one of automatic certification as opposed to under the prior versions of the legislation that automatic certification would have been a, a extraordinary remedy and in fact it would only have been a remedy where a certification vote was viewed as not being a, a suitable option instead of going to the certification vote uh, presumptively now uh, it may be automatic certification and that is of particular concern the other is the very non-democratic uh, card-based approach to certification and that is where simply the union can get enough cards signed and apply for what we again automatic certification without a representation vote taking place and that's now been extended I mentioned the construction industry earlier it's, it's existed there for some time but it's now been extended to uh, the building services industry, you know, the provision of food services, cleaning services, security services, 
where, again, with enough cards signed, the union can essentially become automatically certified. So that's where, those are a couple examples of where uh, access has been improved. The other thing about the building services uh, industry, and if you're working in that, you've kind of got the uh, double hit, and that is if there is a transfer of a building services contract from one employer to another, and it's a unionized operation, then that union uh, will be following uh, to the new service provider as well. So uh, it, it's, it's kind of preserving or stabilizing that collective bargaining relationship. And a couple of other examples of the preserving the success or the existence of a collective bargaining relationship is uh, labor, li- the Labor Board's now also been given substantive interim relief power. And uh, essentially what that means is whenever there is workplace change that a union potentially wants to challenge or take issue with, they can seek interim relief from the Labour Board to essentially freeze the existing status quo pending a determination by the Labour Board as to whether or not that workplace change is an unfair labour practice or not. And that uh, pretty powerful tool available to unions who want to uh, resist that, that change to the workplace. And again, that would apply to uh, existing unionized, newly unionized uh, workplaces as well. And uh, related to that is also the establishment of just cause uh, protection. Uh, for those in unionized workplaces, you appreciate that you have to have just cause to terminate employees, while newly unionized workplaces um, also have to have just cause per, um, in order to establish the termination of a uh, newly unionized employee. Uh, and sorry, Dave, when you say newly unionized, you mean before a collective agreement has been ratified and is applicable to the workplace? Good good question, Mike. Yes. So for clarification, most collective agreements provide just, in fact, all collective agreements provide for just cause protection. It's legislated. Um, there's often a, a transition period from when a union gets certified to that first collective agreement being put in place. And there was a, an issue as to what's the status or the protection for those newly unionized employees until that first collective agreement is in place. While we now, by legislation, know it's, it's just cause protection. And that's a much more onerous standard for employers to be adjusting to. And just on that issue of uh, that window between a newly certified workplace and putting that first collective agreement in place, the legislators have also seen fit to uh, enhance what we call first collective agreement arbitration. In the past, first collective agreement arbitration has been available where uh, arguably an employer has been uh, obstinate or reluctant to accept the fact that their workplace is now unionized and they have to enter, enter into a collective agreement. Uh, what appears to be happening is uh, first agreement arbitration is almost going to be available as a, as a right to a union if they feel that they're not uh, making uh, appropriate progress in securing that first collective agreement for employees. And um, uh, the, the problem with that process being first collective agreement arbitration is you now are going to have a third party coming in and imposing terms and conditions on a workplace without practically appreciating, at least from the employer's standpoint, uh, whatever nuances and and unique elements of your workplace that need to be addressed properly in that collective agreement. And so, again, I think uh, cause for concern for non-union employers out there, both in terms of the access 
to uh, collective bargaining and being made available under Bill 148, as well as the, uh, the levels of protection being provided to newly unionized workplaces. Okay, Susan, I want to turn back to you now, and I want to ask you a question that came in to us over Twitter, and again, you can find us on Twitter, at CCPartnersLaw, and if you want to tweet us your questions, do so using the hashtag AskCCPartners. And uh, another one of our astute listeners asks us, how am I supposed to prepare for all of these changes by January 1st, 2018? <laughs> Good question. Uh, so in terms of the tips from the employment standards point of view, Dave made reference to ensuring collective agreements comply with the new legislation. I think the, the biggest thing that employers need to do right now is look at their current policies. There are a lot of new leave provisions and there are changes to existing leave provisions. They're now being called different things. Um, so a review of your policies to make sure that they comply uh, would be the first order of business. Uh, and then I would say making sure that you don't have duplicate leave provisions in your current policies. So for any employer that provides, for instance, paid sick days, uh, paid personal days, you will want to take a look at those uh, policies to make sure that you're not now required to pay additional uh, time, uh, particularly under the uh, personal emergency leave because there are two days, and under the new domestic violence and sexual assault leave, the first five days of that leave are paid. So taking a look at those to see whether or not you can reclassify some of your leaves uh, so that they comply, uh, any leaves that you have that are paid, uh, but really just looking at your policies to make sure they're compliant. The other thing that I didn't mention uh, when I was talking about some of the highlights is also looking at your independent contractors. If you have independent contractors in your workplace, there are new provisions now that if, and these were effective, uh, they're effective immediately. Uh, if you have independent contractors who have been misclassified, in other words, you call them independent contractors but they're really employees, there are new provisions that will allow uh, the Ministry of Labor to actually fine an employer for those misclassifications. Uh, so you really want to take a look at and make sure that your independent contractors actually meet the test uh, and for that we would strongly recommend getting some legal advice and we would strongly recommend getting it from CC Partners. Excellent. Thank you, Susan. Thank you, Dave. Thank you to our listeners. This has been our overview of Bill 148. And again, for a more comprehensive uh, review of what these changes mean to employers, take a look at Susan's blog, November 30th, 2017, and you can find it online, www.ccpartners.ca. And we look forward to you joining us back here for Episode 3. Take care. Bye.